What's up, Edgy Gamers? Today we're talking with Dan White from Filament Games. We're chatting about video games and game-based learning. We're gonna look at what that looks like as a remote experience, what it looked like before the pandemic and that transition to the pandemic and what that might look like in the future. I'm super excited for our chat today, so let's get into the episode. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. If you're new to our YouTube channel or new to the podcast, or if you've been around a while, this might be just a reminder for you, but we are Board Game with Education. We focus on providing game-based learning and gamification resources, tips, tricks. We, we do it all. And one of the things we do on our website, we carry different hobby and mass market board games. So if you're interested in implementing a tabletop game as part of your learning environment, whether that be at home or in the classroom, be sure to check out boardgamingwitheducation.com. We're working on a lot of new things coming up, including a board game crate, and that comes packed with different games to get you set up with your learning environment. If you have questions or anything, feel free to reach out to me, podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. All right, let's get to the talk. So welcome to another episode of Board Game with Education. I am your host, Dustin. I'm here joined by Dan. Super excited to have you here, Dan White from Filament Games. And Filament Games is all about creating experiences and learning ex or playful experiences that improve people's lives. So there are a lot of games that Filament Games has have produced. Um, I'm excited to learn more about some of your games and kind of what you've done with game-based learning. And that's what we're going to talk about today is using video games for learning. Before we kind of jump into the topic, would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and what you do and maybe an introduction of Filament Games? Absolutely. Yeah, so Filament Games, every day we get up, we put our pants on and we develop games for positive impact, as you mentioned. A lot of people make games, well, everybody who makes games is trying to have some kind of impact on the player, right? But usually it's in situ, it's in the moments while they're playing the game, and usually the desired impact is entertainment. So one of the main things that sets us apart is we also care about what happens to play the player after the game. A lot of people think of this in terms of, uh, you know, the colloquialism is kind of transfer, like how does that experience transfer out into the real world? So for us, it's like, how did that behavior change that player or that player's cognition in some way? Did we create a new behavior? Did we create a new perspective, a new skill set, a new mindset, et cetera? And, and ideally, it's a, a positive impact as well. Right. So I wonder, before we kind of go further, I want to ask, when you come across someone, because this is something that, that you kind of learned pretty early on when you start looking at game-based learning and games as an art form, right? It, it Games are art, and not a lot of people maybe consider games as art how do you approach or open up that conversation to someone who's never thought about that before oh yeah you know it's it's interesting i was i was just watching a video about the unintended consequences of designing rewards into games mm. and and uh, i think one of the really interesting artistic aspects of games well all art is intended to have some kind of impact on people right um, but games almost take it to this this next level of 
like uh, it, some people might even con consider it like cognitive manipulation, right? Like I want the player to do X, and so I'm going to give them incentive Y or encouragement Z. And so I, I think one of the things that's really interesting about games as art is that as a, as a game developer or a game designer, it's a it's a, a dialogue as opposed to a one-way street right i i'm not filming a, a movie and then having you sit and consume it passively or making a, a drawing a picture or a painting and having you passively consume it i'm giving you a space in which you can actually bring your own thoughts and ideas and perspectives and then implement those thoughts and ideas and perspectives in the form of actions in the context of the verbs or mechanics that i've created for you in the game and then you get a response and that response is something that i as a designer maybe thought of or maybe it's emergent like so for example mm -hmm. right now we're working on a, a robotics game where uh it's a it's a very physics-based space and so the player's inputs a certain a number of things are predictable and there are certain <laughs> variables that are simply not predictable and so that's the thing that i think is actually one of the things that makes games art in a very different way than traditional forms of art, traditional medium, is that it's a it's actually a type of co-creation, which is to me just absolutely awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. I like how you put it as a dialogue between right the player and the creator of the game, or the just the game and the player. And it reminds me of one of the first times I kind of experienced that perspective was with Raf Coster. He talks about mm -hmm games can do something no other art form can do and you mentioned that response that feedback you get from playing a game absolutely awesome so i want to we want to get into the topic of using video games for learning and i know this was a pretty big deal this past year because a lot of people were online and how we use video games remotely or in the classroom how would you approach this topic maybe to someone first kind of getting into this idea of using video games as a part of their learning environment or in their classroom? I like to think of games as experience engines. And, and I think that's part of the reason why they're so potent as a pedagogy. And for, for people who are sort of steeped in the, in the um, vernacular of the learning sciences, I think of game-based learning. And you know, game-based learning is in, in many ways being like a cousin to project-based learning or inquiry-based learning. So the idea is we're, we're creating a problem space for the player to explore, to make decisions in, ideally interesting decisions. And then in the process of playing with that space and trying to solve those problems, they are exposed to the learning objectives that we, that we want them to learn. And this is really powerful stuff, right? Because you know, every, there's all different ways that people learn, but one of, at least in my experience, uh, in grad schools, it was quite a while ago now for me, but at least for what I remember from my learning sciences degree as well is that a lot of people learn through experience and the more hands-on those experiences are, the better. Uh, and, and so so games, yeah, again, are, are essentially experience engines. They give you an opportunity to experience something that otherwise might be very difficult or even impossible. So for example, if I want to step into the shoes of an astronaut you know, as a 12-year-old, that's, that's probably not feasible or practical, right? But in a game space, it absolutely is. And the other cool thing is in a game space, we can play with the fidelity so that we, we can set it at just the right point to highlight mm. the lessons that we think are most important in that space for that learner at that time. So for a 12-year-old, uh, there's, uh, you know, thinking about astro, you know, physics and, and um, uh, uh, you know, think of things around being an astronaut. 
Uh, obviously, I don't know a lot about what you need to know. <laughs> I don't know math and stuff like that. STEM, right? Um, there, there's. Uh, so he, here's maybe a more salient example is, you know, if I want to teach you about a cell and how a cell works, in the beginning, I'm going to sh I'm going to show you a picture of a cell that's not actually what a cell looks like, right? It's sort of mm -hmm. an intentional lie, uh, like a simplification of an abstract idea or concept that gives you handholds to grab onto in your learning trajectory. And then over time, uh, I can th those lies can, can gradually work their way toward becoming truths. Uh, but it, in, in the beginning, it's actually, it's less about telling the player exactly how a system works. So this is where this is one of the reasons that games are very different than simulations, right? Simulations are obsessed with the, this idea of fidelity. Like we want to tell the learner exactly how this works. But in fact, simulations are always lies as well, right? Because there's no such thing as a perfect simulation. So it's all just a question of the extent mm -hmm. to which you're willing to suspend a certain amount of disbelief in order to focus on the parts of the learning objective that are actually important based on your personal learning trajectory. Yeah, and I want to go back to the point you made, and I really, I really like it, and it's very well said. Is and I think it works too, is to introduce teachers that are not familiar with game-based learning. It's called the cousin of game, uh, project-based learning or inquiry-based learning, because really, it is experiential learning. You're you're experiencing whatever it is, the learning outcome through the game, which is really great. Um, so, how I guess can you share maybe some examples of filament games and what they've done to use video games this past year? Uh, particularly in a remote, uh, I guess, school. I mean, most schools were remote. So how or what games have you guys used? Yeah, so I'll illustrate, I'll use two different examples to illustrate kind of what I see is different into the spectrum. And and this spectrum is also on its itself on a larger spectrum as well, which I'll try to articulate briefly. So the overall spectrum I see is from being sort of practice-oriented experiences, drill and practice-oriented experiences that tend to be focused on declarative knowledge. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, more procedural oriented experiences that are about concepts and understandings. So, and that's where you oftentimes get into a lot of your soft skills education, like mm -hmm. uh, critical thinking or computational thinking, problem solving, design thinking, collaboration, creativity, et cetera. And so uh, we tend to focus on the right side of that spectrum to the extent possible at Filament. So we make a lot of different games for a lot of different types of organizations. Uh, so obviously the client has to say in that in that as well. But uh, two different examples on more toward the right end of that spectrum. If you ratchet it all the way up or all the way to the right, as it were, uh, you're looking at a game. So this, this game I mentioned, RoboCo, which is a ro robot building sandbox space where we're basically like, here's a problem. You got to build a robot that can deliver a sandwich to this table on a bistro or cross this bridge and shut off a valve that's causing toxic goo to leak out or whatever. Mm. How, you build, how you solve that is entirely up to you. We're going to give you the parts. Here's some pistons, here's springs, here's you know servo motors, blocks, et cetera, uh, gears. And then how you solve that problem is entirely up to you. Then as you move down the spectrum more toward the content knowledge end of the spectrum, you have games like iCivic. So we've made almost, I think, 20 games for an organization called iCivics, which uses a game-based curriculum to teach uh, civics, basically civics, literacy, and knowledge. So these are things like, uh, well, yeah, how does my government work? What does the executive mm. branch do, et cetera, et cetera. And so even on that end of the spectrum, 
And this is why I say we inhabit the right side of this overall spectrum. So even, even on the low end of our spectrum, we're not going to put you in a space where, uh, say, for example, we say, you know, what is, what's the Second Amendment? And then right. ask you that question as in the form of a quiz and then give you some sort of candy, you know, coding around that. Right, right. Or whatever um, after you get it right. So, and, and that stuff's fine, by the way. Like, I don't have, I don't have any, like, philosophical chip on my shoulder about that. It's just that... Um, I would classify those less as games and more as like digital interactives. Um, and, uh, and so, so in the case of a game like iCivics, what we're really trying to do is we're saying what sort of identity or role uh, can we put you in, in this space where you have a logical reason to engage with this content and learn this content. So basically how can we make it so that this content has some sort of utility to you as a player? Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our goal is to, um, uh, make sure that you not only understand it, but will retain it in some kind of longitudinal way. And that's really where that experience-based learning comes back into play. Yeah, and that's awesome. I, I kind of want to maybe pry a little bit further on the, I, I guess I think of, uh, what is it, Kahoot or quizzes. Mm -hmm. um, what's the third one? So yeah, I mean, you mentioned they're not, they're, they're good tools. They're great tools. But looking at that versus, I think the name of the game, I Know Your Rights, is that correct? Is that oh, do I have a right? Mm -hmm. Do I have a right? Right. So that's, I've had a chance to play it a, a couple of weeks ago. Someone introduced it to me before we had connected, which was kind of mm -hmm. coincidence. But um, so I, it's essentially a card game where you're practicing the Bill of Rights. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Do I have a right? Oh, so yeah. Actually, we, <laughs> incidentally, we've made two different games about the Bill of Rights. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, so, and one of it, and, and one of them was called, and they're both, by the way, a very long time ago. So, testing my recollection here one okay. is called do i have a right and the other one uh, is oh gosh what is the other one called uh, oh well now so you're gonna have to tell me more about the game i'll tell you <laughs> yeah so it was the one where you have to match the amendment with the right do i have a right yeah 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 so i was you know and that's kind of i shared it with another colleague as giving an example like this is the epitome of game-based learning you're learning the amendments through like practical examples in the world i mean some of these conversations come up on social media all the time now yeah. and they're in the amendment so i wonder um can you kind of share a little bit more of what something like that experience game-based learning experience like that game versus like using something like quizzes or kahoot and maybe some benefits to using the game-based learning experience. Yeah, it's it's interesting to use that as an example in particular because I would say that is probably as close as we. I mean, that's that's actually an example of a game that does trend a little bit closer to the toward the Kahoot end of the spectrum. I mean, the thing is, if you want to sort of put on your if you want to sort of wax philosophical for a second, like every game, no matter how complex or deep it is, is always a set of questions. And those questions are, they're not necessarily explicit questions on the screen, but the game is asking you in one form or another, what do you want to do? Like, what is, what is the thing that you want to do next? And really, I think one of the things that separates interesting games, whether they're learning games or not, from less interesting games, I don't, I don't mean to sort of put a pejorative angle on it but basically is the answer to those questions interesting and is it is it uh objectively right or wrong and i think some of the most interesting learning experiences in general whether they're games or not are spaces where there's not like an objective right or wrong it like like in real life right mm. it's not, do i do a or b it's like well there's 
benefits and drawbacks to A and B. And there's also infinite other possibilities as well. And so I think what we're trying to do, regardless of where we are on that spectrum, is trying to give the player the sense that they're inhabiting a, a space where they have A, as much agency as possible, and the possibility space is as big as possible. And do I have a right is actually a funny example, kind of going back to what I was saying before, is that it's a space where we, through, through a little bit of smoke and mirrors, we sort of use some tricks of the trade to give you the impression that it's a larger possibility space than it actually is. Um, and so, so, uh, so I, but, but then I guess I would still argue that that context still matters. Like it still matters that you're put in the role of uh, somebody triaging law cases in a law firm, that there are actual people coming in who have actual problems that you're helping to triage through your understanding and expertise about or your ability to apply your knowledge of of uh, the constitution and and that's a and i i think that sort of taps into this larger point that learners whether they're young or old just crave context they crave a sense of like meaning and why mm -hmm. does this matter outside of the context of this specific intervention and it, even if it feels like um even if it's as, as simple as, you know, we put you in in the role of this particular character in this particular environment, if it feels logical to the player and it gives them a reason beyond just, I need to try to figure out what the right answer is based on my knowledge of the constitution and what this particular client needs, then that's a win. Right, right. And I, I mean, I, I see the game as like a very basic version of Hearthstone, if you've ever played that. Yeah, um, sure where it's you know it's a card-based game and um yeah maybe i didn't have enough time to explore to see that maybe it is more confined than what my experience was but it seemed like there's some some deeper strategy that could be involved in the game um so now you're making me question because the other constitutional rights game that we made is almost exactly like hearthstone <laughs> okay maybe that is the one i don't know i thought i thought yeah i'll have to look because because so yeah, there's one because I played one, and then I I think I probably went on to Google to like search it again, and then maybe it's the first one that came up, and I'm using that title as the game name of the game. So now I'm gonna have to look. <laughs> now we've awesome. All your all your. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll leave it I'll leave it in the description for anyone that's curious about the game. Um, because I, I enjoyed it, and I think it does definitely cool. demonstrate some practical demonstrations of the experiences and arguments for the amendment the different yes. amendments the second game is called that's your right by the way that's your right okay now everybody understands why we're both confused they're <laughs> very similar really <laughs> titles about the same subject matter but different different treatments right so could you share a little bit more about um filament in their games versus in-person games in virtual environments and kind of compare that through this past year and maybe going forward what that would look like? So do, just want to make sure I'm clear. Are you asking about the use of games in the context of a pandemic where everybody's learning remotely versus the context of using digital games when everybody's physically co-located? Right, right. And then maybe what that looks like now that we've kind of, we've lived through a pandemic, we've seen yeah. some things work well that may carry over beyond the pandemic too. Right. You know, this is a this is an interesting question. And here's why. During the pandemic, you your first instinct would be, okay, everybody's remote. Game-based learning is going to uh, teachers are going to use games a lot more than they did mm -hmm. pre-pandemic. 
Um, and I think, I think you can find examples where that is true. And I know for a number of clients that we work with, where we get to see the statistics on usage, that was in fact the case. But across the board, I'm not sure that it averages out that way. And my theory is that the when the, I mean the pandemic was hugely disruptive, right? So it changed. Right. It required everybody to scramble and figure out how to do distance learning, full-time distance learning for the first time. And and game-based learning, even bef before the pandemic, game-based learning, like I, again, I would say like project-based learning or inquiry-based learning, it's this more sort of advanced pedagogy that requires um I mean, it's 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 not as I mean, frankly, it's it's not as easy to implement as um, as some more standard or traditional pedagogies. And so, so even before the pandemic, I think a lot a lot of educators were, uh, at least a lot of the educators I talked to about game based learning. They're like, how do I how do I do this? You know, what's the what are the best practices and what are the what's where's the good content? How do I find it? How do I implement it? And uh, and and so when the pandemic came along it was super super disruptive and everybody was trying to figure out how to do remote learning i almost feel like that sucked so much air out of the room that it was difficult that it almost mm -hmm. compounded that problem more than more than facilitated the increased use of game based learning so if you're now all of a sudden trying to just figure out how to do the things that used to be super straightforward you know just like conduct a class right. um, then it, it probably just have less bandwidth to to think about now integrating these new technologies that you may or may not have integrated before the pandemic. So, um, you know, I I think the I think I think using games during the like for I think for a lot of educators who who were able to like make that transition relatively quickly and then get up and running and then say okay there are clearly some deficiencies to virtual learning compared to physical learning how can I shore up some of those deficiencies by adding some virtual resources that are higher quality mm. than the default digital resources that are available to us and I think in those instances game based learning was used to very good effect I'm just not not really sure how widespread that was. And then post pandemic, to answer the second part of your question, I what I hope will happen is that everybody, you know, and even as we sort of go back to things the way they were, that everybody will say, okay, well, clearly one of the things that this pandemic showed us is that our our you know, di everything digital, like digital learning for for us and when I say us, I guess I'm specifically saying K-12, but I guess it applies across the board. Um, it's a, like digital is a plan B, maybe a plan C that we haven't really, like it's a, it's a plan, it's a contingency plan that we haven't put a lot of, uh, as much time and effort into as maybe we should. Um, and now maybe it should at least become plan B or it should like, now that things are sort of going back to normal, we've realized that, that there's actually some, some real benefits to, to remote learning or digital learning, there's some big drawbacks. It's just like remote work, right? There's some real benefits, right, to right. Work, real drawbacks to remote work. So I hope we see a lot of people saying, "Well, how can we retain some of the benefits of of remote learning?" and and I hope that game based learning rises, you know, sort of percolates to the top as one of the things that can be um, that that can move closer toward a plan A, where we're like, okay, now we're actually going to spend some time and energy on on integrating this pedagogy more intentionally and more mindfully into our everyday practice even now that things are going back to 
to physicality. Right, right. And just to maybe I want to go back to talking about during the pandemic, but to kind of bring that point home, one thing that I did, and I I was only able to do it for a year, and I wish I was maybe back in the classroom, or maybe I'll have an opportunity to do it again in the future was flip my classroom. And that was really beneficial for me. Because one, I had two courses with 60 to 70 students, and it was a writing class. So it was like almost, I needed to figure out something to do this right and give the individual attention to the students that they need to help them with their essays. So I was able to do that. And that was really great because it it did facilitate an experience where there was more student-centered approach to learning. I was also there as a coach in a sense, um, where I could kind of walk them through their essays and meet with them one-on-one. And then they had opportunity where they get peer support in the classroom as well. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really like that. And I hope that we kind of take some of those things from maybe the flipped classroom experience and some things we've learned from the pandemic and kind of apply it to the future. But you also made a really good point with the, during the pandemic that it was disruptive and it, for some teachers, they were just trying to keep up. Right. And for me, when I've done game-based learning or gamification, I've taken that summer to kind of prepare for like something bigger or newer, you know, like a I gamified an entire semester and that that mm. took me like a month to kind of <laughs> lay down the framework for it. Yeah. Um, and you can't do that during a pandemic. I mean, a lot of teachers are still figuring out the over the summer how they're going to do virtual learning. So right. yeah. I think maybe it was like you mentioned, maybe some of the teachers that already have an experience with game-based learning were able to integrate it a little bit more and lean into it during the pandemic. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. I'm I'm fond of the the phrase "never waste a good crisis." I don't know who said it, but um, in terms of attribution, but um, I yeah, I hope that I, I sincerely, you know, the education system in general, I think, was overdue for a good shakeup, and uh, and for for everybody to just sort of be forced to not be able to do things the way they normally do and get outside their comfort zone and to um, yeah, just try, just try new things. And so I really hope that, you know, in the same way that even outside of the education system, a lot of people were like, Hey, I think I want to try biking out now, or I want right. to try owning a pet or whatever, what, you know, baking bread, gardening, you know, all the, all the, the standard pandemic uh, hobbies that emerged. Um, and it'll be really interesting to, to me to see to what extent things regress afterwards. If it's just like, okay, now it's, let's go back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. Or if there is this, and I really do think it, I think it will not, I think that will not happen. I really do think that, that, um, uh, there, that things will not revert to business as usual and that a lot of people will sort of carry this new perspective with them. Uh, and whether that's specifically game, you know, game-based learning should be another tool in my tool belt as part of, um, you know, that I, I, even if I don't use it every day, it's, you know, I think of it as being something that I use every year, every semester alongside all these other resources that I use. Or if it's just um, people thinking more critically about our digital learning infrastructure Mm. and digital learning resources and what good digital learning looks like, um, as opposed to thinking of digital learning as a Band-Aid, which is how we kind of had to think of it during the Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm super curious. I mean, I, I'm i a little biased with the game-based learning game. Like, I, I really am curious how that's going to turn out. But you make a good point with digital learning. What what are we going to bring to the classroom? I mean, one-on-one with Chromebooks or iPads, that's been a big push this last year. Like, you have, like a, you have to provide that now. 
And I imagine that's going to be a thing moving forward, which is awesome. Like that's super cool. It is. And it, that's actually something I'm glad you brought that up too, because that's another, at least from my perspective, it's another one of those double-edged swords, right? It's like, there's, um, I love the idea of giving kids the tools that we use as professionals outside of school mm. to facilitate the types of tasks and, and more importantly, thinking, um, that, that, uh, grownups do, um, at the same time, um, for, for reasons that make total sense, we are making really big investments in a very particular type of digital infrastructure, right? So like web enabled computers like Chromebooks or mm. tablets and in general sort of low and from a processing power perspective or a graphical processing power perspective, especially sort of devices that are lower on the lower end of the spectrum, which facilitate and all sorts of awesome things, Google docs and, you know, just access to the internet in and of itself is, is it's huge. Um, but what it, what it leaves behind is, um, some higher fidelity experience. So I'm, 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 I'm now speaking from the perspective of a game developer and games. Mm -hmm. Uh, so here's another spectrum we can talk about. And that is the spectrum of, um, uh, uh, uh system requirements, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and if we really want to push the envelope in terms of production values and sort of creating virtual spaces that are really engaging and really draw the player in. And, and in some cases, maybe the visuals are really important to the learning objectives, like say we're making a, a game about a historical topic or something like that, that we have this really, really hard ceiling with delivering games through internet enabled devices like Chromebooks and tablets that don't have onboard, you know, uh, higher right. processing systems or graphical uh, uh, GPUs. Um, and so that's not like, that's a problem for the future, probably. I think in general right now, it's the, the focus really does need to be on like, let's push as hard toward one-to-one -one as possible, but something for consideration for down. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one one thing I had to go through is access to technology too, is um, I'm teaching a class, Among Us Games and Human Behavior. Oh, and nice. Among Us is not, is not available on Google Chromebooks at the school. So I'm like, okay, well, I have to make sure everyone has access to exactly. another device. Otherwise, we probably have to do a different game. Um, yeah, download and install can be the kiss of death for yeah, uh, right. the school yeah. IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So um, before we move into our game, do you have anything else you kind of want to share or maybe last words of advice to someone looking at games or game-based learning or video games for learning? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so uh, kind of returning to that spectrum that we, the original spectrum that we talked about from sort of more content oriented games to more uh, soft skill oriented games. I think there's, we've, we've seen games, games of all different types gradually infiltrate school system. It's been, mm -hmm. it's been a lot slower than I personally would like, and it's been more weighted toward the Kahoot end of the spectrum than the other end of the spectrum. Uh, also to my chagrin, but that's okay. I got to start someplace. <laughs> right. Um, but what I'm really hoping is that the thing that makes games come to the forefront, digital games and, and shine uh, as a learning tool will actually be less sort of the pandemic and, and digital and remote learning or distance learning and more this sort of realization that, oh, wow. Like in less than 15 years, you know, a uh, maybe half the workforce is going to be eliminated by machine learning and robotics mm. and automation, right? And that we have to be 
pushing uh, more 21st century skills curriculum. We have to be pushing more future-facing skills, soft skills, et cetera. We have to be pushing, you know, 21st century literacies like 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 coding and robotics. And um, that's where I'm really hoping that games shine because like using games to teach content is fine. It works. We do it all the time. Um, but the further you get toward the left end of that spectrum, the more it's sort of like a nuclear-powered fly swatter, if you will. And and where uh, where we ultimately want to be is like we want to be making these really rich and interesting problem spaces that let students flex their creative muscles and right. flex their problem solving muscles and, and and all that kind of stuff. And and those also coincidentally are the exact skills that they're going to need in order to not be replaced by machines when they right graduate. right. And so I'm really hoping that those two trends converge um, and that sort of that that becomes the uh, that 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 ends up being the thing that really makes the system at large wake up to the mm. idea that learning games deep sort of deep meaningful impactful learning games have an important place in the educator's tool belt right and i i mean in my in my bubble i feel like people are pushing for that for sure but it's like okay we're all pushing for it but why is it not happening why is it not right. changing i mean I, that's one of the reasons for sure yeah and yeah. and also yeah i guess that i mean how how are uh, how is success how is a successful student assessed right right um and i mean another thing i am hearing a lot even more so during the pandemic is social emotional learning and how right i i think games are great for building those nurturing environments in your classroom with your students and even just having an opportunity to do that is super important and super valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to move into our game. Um, I mentioned we're going to play five second rule. This I'm still kind of figuring out how to do this. Usually I do it by audio. So it's just going to take a second to get it up. All right. So if you haven't played five second rule for anyone watching, you have three or five seconds, five seconds to name three things in a category. So okay, yeah, I just start rattling stuff off. Right. Okay. <laughs> and go. Animals. Okay. Cheetah, zebra, uh, lion, giraffe, elephant. Oh my Ooh. gosh. All African. <laughs> I think <laughs> so you got it. You got, you got it. You only have to name three, but okay. if you want to keep going. That's fine too. There's no extra credit. <laughs> we'll go when it shows the five. Okay, things are okay. Rocks, birds, and grass. Oh, nice! You even had a second to spare. So you're two for two. All right. The next one. Uh, phone, computer, and tablet. Oh, nice! Talking about phone. If we want to think tablets, and phones would say <laughs> TV. Nice. Three for three. And we'll go to the next one in two seconds. Sex. Okay, um, cicadas, flies, and well, <laughs> I was like, oh, what's the what's the cool thing? <laughs> you got mantises. Oh, the entomologist. I mean, okay. All right, and I think I think this might be the last one. No, superheroes. Okay, um, Superman, Batman, and Robin. Nice. I think everyone goes Superman, Batman. That's always to you you know it's fun it, it i was thrown for a second because i just finished watching the series the boys which is about oh. bad superheroes <laughs> and that's <laughs> gonna yeah. list all them up but uh they're they're no they're they're bad guys they're yeah awesome. yeah 
it's, a good, <laughs> it's an interesting take on superheroes i think it is all right and the last one we'll go three two one board games okay civilization um risk and monopoly oh just barely got that in so i think you're five for six which is pretty good it's pretty good right. oh, the praying mantis i didn't have oh, <laughs> dang it <laughs> awesome dan so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights i learned a lot and i really enjoyed this conversation i think uh it's good to reflect on some of the things about the pandemic and kind of moving forward um, if anyone wants to learn more about Filament Games or maybe learn more about you, where might they do that? Yeah, so our website is filamentgames.com, and we're on Facebook and Twitter and all the usual suspects. And um, and I can also reach be reached directly at white at filamentgames.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, so thank you again for checking out the Board Game with Education videocast. Again, if you're listening to us on a podcast, come on over to YouTube. And for whether you're on YouTube or the podcast, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. That's where you will get a lot of different tips, resources, and all updates with Board Game with Education. You can go to boardgamewitheducation.com, or we will leave a link to the newsletter in the video description or the show notes below. All right, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening in this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.